Well, hey, good morning, New Life Church family. So glad that you're joining with us this morning. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, worship team. I got to tell you, it felt so good to be worshiping with the team together in this space. And uh, the only thing that would have made it better is if you were here uh, worshiping in person with us. And uh, we're looking forward to that day. We're longing for that day. And that day is going to come. That day is going to come. But until then, we're just so glad that you've taken the time out of this beautiful day. And if you're in the Stonewall area, it really does feel like it's summer today. Uh, So glad that you uh, have begun this beautiful day with us, together, wherever you are, kind of coming and giving our worship to God at the beginning of this week, finding our our self in Him, and uh, also opening up our minds and our hearts to whatever God has for us today. And I promise you this, God has a good word for you today. He's got something for you, because I know this is a a message that's going to resonate with all of us. Uh, As we close this series, Under Pressure, in this series we've been looking at the various pressures that we all face in life. And so in this series, we've kind of just been getting real, looking at the pressure of temptation, uh, the pressure of fear, peer pressure, the pressure of greed. And uh, together this morning, we're going to look at a pressure which is as human a pressure as any, and that's the pressure of Jealousy. So we're going to close this series under pressure by looking uh, at, uh, at, at battling this, the, the, the pressure of jealousy. So why do I say it's as human a pressure as any? Well, it's because as far back as you go in human history, you see man battling jealousy. Like, I mean right back to the very beginning. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, the first man and the first woman... Uh, you know the story, right? You see the man and the woman, and, and there's this fruit of this tree, the one tree that God said they could not eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God made them this beautiful world, and they can enjoy all of it and eat from all the trees except from this one tree. God said, this tree doesn't belong to you. This tree belongs to me only. And then Satan came to the woman and said, did God really say that you would die if, if you ate from this? He just knows that if you eat from this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like him. And don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to be like God? And those first people, they looked at that fruit and they thought, yeah, we want that for ourselves. And they felt envious about that which belonged to God and they wanted it for themselves. And, and so there you see already in the heart of the first human beings, this, this pressure of jealousy. And they must have passed it on to their kids because their sons, Cain and Abel, and maybe you know the story how uh, Cain just was in a jealous rage about the favor that God had shown on Abel's sacrifice, and it led to Cain killing his brother Abel in a jealous rage. And we see this pattern over and over again, often within the context of siblings and the family, right? Jacob and Esau, Jacob being jealous of the birthright that belonged to his older brother Esau. And then those brothers of Joseph being jealous of Joseph, who was given this beautiful, colorful coat by his father, and they wanted it for themselves, and they were jealous, and so they harmed their, their brother. And so, you know, if you were to give the book, uh, the, the book of Genesis kind of a subtitle, you might call it How Jealousy ruined the world. And so I'm pretty sure that um, you know this in your own life, this pressure of jealousy. That's why God put it in the Ten Commandments, right? In the Ten Commandments we have, do not covet. 
It's the one command that isn't really speaking to an action, but it's speaking to an attitude of the heart. Do not covet. And I think God put it there because He knew that every single one of us would battle covetousness. We would battle jealousy. We all feel it, don't we? And so, I mean, if, if there's a pandemic we're facing, I mean, the, the biggest pandemic is not COVID, it's covet. It's to covet. I certainly feel that. I mean, I've battled this as far back as I can remember. I remember as a boy and as a teenager, uh, feeling jealous of my siblings, my, my younger two brothers particularly. I hope they're not watching this. They might use this against me. But I was the oldest of four kids, and I had two younger brothers. And it just seemed to me that they were better at everything, uh, be- better than me at everything they did. Uh, and and um, I just kind of developed this, this kind of poor me spirit, right? Like, like they just had this natural athletic ability. Like I played sports. I was on the high school baseball team and football team. And I kind of rode the pine. I was just like a, a, a middle of, of, of the pack sort of player. But, but my two brothers, they were like all-star quarterbacks for the team. They were just better than me at sports. They had this great musical gifting. I mean, their voices are great. And mine just not. <laughs> you, can, you can ask those who have sung around me in church. Uh, and even today, they both lead worship teams in their big churches in Alberta. And man, I'd love to have that musical gifting, and I just don't have that. My brothers, they always just had this ease about them with, with friends, and they were very popular with girls. They had this ability to talk to girls, and girls kind of gravitated towards them. And you know what? I just didn't have it. I didn't have it. I, I, just, I was just kind of awkward, and I, I, I wasn't very good socially as a teenager, and I kind of looked down upon myself, and by God's grace, he brought a wonderful woman who kind of tracked me down, Erica, and was willing to marry me, and God's given me a beautiful family. And so I kind of got past some of those, like, childhood sort of jealousies, but it, then it just kind of moved on. I had a family of my own, and then, and then that jealousy turned towards those peers around me who had what I wanted. You know, they had a career where they made a really good income and they had financial stability and certainty and they were able to buy a house when I was renting and they had what I wanted, some of the things that I wanted and the financial security that I wanted and didn't have and I had to battle that in my heart. And then God God brought me to Stonewall here, a beautiful home he's given to us and he's landed us in a good place. And you know what? Like, let me just get real here, okay? As a pastor, I can struggle with jealousy in ministry, you know, with other churches and other pastors. I can look at that pastor down, or that church down the road that, that's doing well, it's being successful, and I can feel that jealousy, that envy in my heart. And even with other pastors, now, now Daniel, plug your ears, please. You know, sometimes I'll even hear th- those come and just lavish praise on maybe Darren or Daniel and, 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 and sometimes, I'm just getting real here, that can bring to the surface some insecurities and I wonder to myself, do, do, do people like them better than they like me? And I can find myself coveting the praise that's given to another. Do, do, you, do you know what that feels like in your own life? I mean, we can even feel that in the context of ministry. Now, here I am, Turning 40 this week, May 19th. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to plug myself shamelessly, but I already did, May 19th. And uh, <laughs> I'm at a point where I'm turning 40 and I'm starting to lose my hair. 
more all the time. I see it. I'm thinning, and I look at these guys. They're my age, or they're older, and they've got this thick head of hair, and I find myself in my own heart, oh, God, how come I don't have that thick, full head of hair at this age? Because I know there's just going to be less and less of it. So, you know, it's changed as I've grown in life, but I've always had to battle jealousy in my heart. And I'm going to suspect that if you're honest with yourself, you do too. You do too. It's something that we all face. What does that look like in your life? The pressure of jealousy. What do you covet? Maybe it's a sister who's got a better figure than you. And you just can't seem to lose the weight you want to lose. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's friends uh, who, you know, everything good happens to them. And you just can't catch a break. And life just seems so easy for somebody else. And you wish, man, I wish I had the sort of life that they have. Or maybe it's someone in your workplace gets a promotion that you think you are better suited for. And you struggle with jealousy in your heart. Maybe it's someone out there who has kids that seem to be more successful than your own kids. And you battle with jealousy in that area. What does it look like? for you, this pressure right now, because I know you're facing it, and that brings problems, doesn't it, to us, jealousy? I mean, at least in a few ways. Jealousy robs us of our inner peace. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. It robs you of that peace in your own spirit, in your own heart, right? Because when you are jealous of what you don't have, what another has, you do not have the ability to enjoy what you do have. It robs you from the joy of the things you do possess because you need something else to make you happy, something else. If you just had that other thing that that other person has, then you would be happy, then you would be satisfied. But you can't be happy with what you have. So jealousy will rob you of inner peace. It'll rob you from outer peace, peace in relationships with people around you. And so much uh, relational strife really has its roots in jealousy. This is what James said, James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He's talking to Christians in the church here. Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire and do not have, so you kill? It's probably not talking about literal killing, but like, you know, like a a murderous spirit in your heart. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. So what James is saying is a lot of your lack of peace in relationships actually has its roots in this inner battle of the, the desire for something that you feel you need, that someone else has, but something you don't have. So jealousy causes all sorts of problems. This morning, I just want to ask the question, how do we face that? How do we win that battle against jealousy? And I want to go to a story. As we've been doing in this series, we've been going into the Bible, finding a story of two people that faced one of these pressures that you and I face, but that faced that common pressure differently with a different outcome. And so here this morning, we're going to look at a story of a king and his son. A king and the crown prince, Saul and Jonathan. And really, we're picking up the story where we left off last week. Now, when Darren preached last week, 
uh, he, he shared with us from 1 Samuel the story of Samuel when he was uh, a baby and a boy. And now we're going to continue in the book of 1 Samuel. Samuel's grown up. He's become a prophet, the greatest prophet in Israel, a leader amongst his people. And the story we're going to look at almost covers the whole of the book of 1 Samuel. So I'm just going to skip through it a few different parts here and kind of hit the high notes. This story of jealousy and contentment. And so we find uh, Samuel leading the people and the people of Israel coming to, coming to Samuel and saying, Samuel, would you appoint for us a king? This is 1 Samuel 8. We want a king to lead us just like all the other nations have. Everyone around us has a king. We don't have a king. We want a king. So Samuel brings this request to God, says the people are asking for a king, and this displeases God because God says, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me as their king. Because God's people were supposed to be unique. They didn't need a human king. God was to be the one that they were to look to, the meter of all of their needs. But the people insisted they wanted a king. They say in in 1 Samuel 8, 19, No, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and to fight our battles. So see, here you have the whole nation with a jealous spirit, wanting what all the other nations have. And so God relents, and he gives them what they ask for, a king. And so Samuel goes, and he finds a man named Saul and anoints him king. We're told that this man named Saul, he was a handsome young man, a handsome as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So he just seemed to be a natural leader that people would gravitate to. And Samuel anoints Saul to be king. And so there the people have what they asked for. They have this king, and this king Saul has a son, Jonathan, and Jonathan, we find out, is a valiant man. He's a brave warrior, surely to make a great king one day. But Saul sins against God on a number of occasions, does not do what God asked him to do, and so God takes the kingship from Saul and says that he's going to give it to another. He's going to give it to David, we find out. So Samuel goes and he, and he, and he finds, um, searches for this next king, which God will give his people. God leaves Samuel to the house of Jesse, Jesse of Bethlehem. And we find this in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, that is the oldest son in the family of Jesse. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God looks at something different. He has different metrics. And so one by one, Samuel goes through all the sons of Jesse, but the king is not found. But there's this young runt of a son who's the shepherd out with the sheep, which they call David. And God says, this is the one I have chosen. And so Samuel anoints David to be king. We find that David enters King Saul's service. It says this, 1 Samuel 16, 21, David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked David very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Like Saul really appreciates David. And whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, 
David would, would take up his lyre, his harp, and he'd play, and relief would come over Saul, and he would feel better, and that evil spirit, that troubled spirit that would sometimes come over Saul would leave him when David would play the harp. And then we have a story you all know well, the story of David and Goliath. David overcomes this great giant and delivers God's people from their enemy, the Philistines, in this incredible fashion. And then it says this, after uh, David defeats uh, Goliath, 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, it says, uh, David had finished talking with Saul after this victory, and Jonathan, Saul's son, the crown prince, became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as he loved himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. All of these rich, kingly, princely sort of possessions he gives to David, who God has anointed. Whatever mission Saul sent David on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army, and this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the woman came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres, and they danced and they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain, this refrain displeased him greatly, for they had credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil, that evil spirit came over Saul again, and he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. And so here you see Saul being overtaken by the pressure of jealousy. Is he really liked David when David was serving his purposes? But then a time came, something changed. What changed? Well, David started to get more praise from the people than Saul got. More praise. And Saul started to envy that praise from the people. And his heart changed to jealousy. And now he wanted to remove kill David. And the rest of the story, Saul tries to hunt down and to kill David because he was driven mad by jealousy. Now, Jonathan, we, we find, felt something very differently. Jonathan didn't share his father's jealous heart, even though he had just as much to lose f from, from David becoming king. Like, just, just imagine for a moment, you know, you're Jonathan, you're being groomed. You live in the palace, right? This privileged place. You're being groomed to be king one day. You're going to have all that privilege. You're going to have all that power, whatever you want. That's about to be yours, but that's all going to be taken away from you if this David, whom God has chosen to be king, actually becomes king. You think that Jonathan would be ripe to feel jealousy in his heart? 
to see David get what should have been his. And yet that's not how he feels at all. That's not how he feels. Instead of grasping for what might be his, we see here in the story Jonathan affirming what God had given, not to him, but what God had given to David. We see this in 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 to 17. It said, while David was fleeing, trying to flee Saul, as Saul was trying to take his life, it says, Saul's son Jonathan went out, he found David at Horesh, and he helped David find strength in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you, for you will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. I'm going to be second. You're going to be number one. You will be king. Why? Because God has said. God has chosen you. And and what we see here in uh, Jonathan, something we didn't see in Saul, what we see is a contented heart. Jonathan is contented with being number two. He's contented with the position that God has given him. A jealous heart versus a contented heart. How do we battle jealousy and how, to, how do we build contentment in our life? How do we do that? Uh, and just in, in the last few minutes this morning, I want to suggest kind of the key word is the word celebrate. Celebrate or rejoice. We're, we're going to see that word a few times in the scriptures. To celebrate. We need to, do, we need to do two things. We need to celebrate two things to build contentment in our life. The first thing we need to do is we need to celebrate what God has given to you. You need to celebrate what God has given to you. You'll never overcome jealousy until you realize that your problem isn't really with another person. Your problem really is with God. You see, in our story, it was God that chose David. David didn't choose to be king. God chose David. David didn't wrong Saul as much as Saul hated David. David had done nothing to him. You know, jealousy causes us to believe that the other person is the problem, but the other person isn't the problem, right? Like that person that's skinnier than you, they can't make you skinnier. Right, the person that had that job opportunity, they can't give you that job opportunity. That person that seems to catch all the breaks, well, you don't. They, they can't change your life, right? Your problem isn't, isn't actually with the person who has what you want. The problem is with God because God could have given you all those things. God could have made you healthier. God could have made you wealthier. God could have made you skinnier. God could have given you a better voice, Right? but he didn't. Jealousy really is the belief that God owes you. That's what it is. It's the belief that God owes you something. And it's so important that you realize that the battle isn't against other people who have. It's against God. It's to believe God owes you. And I I think that actually the very first step to, to, to being victorious over jealousy is actually just to say it out loud, to kind of look up to heaven, to point your finger at God and say, God, you owe me. You have been unfair. You ever done that? (laughs) You might feel a little bit uneasy about doing something like that. And as soon as you start feeling uneasy about that, now you're on the road to recovery. You're on the road to recovery. We we see this parable 
called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. It's in Matthew chapter 20. It's, it's a parable. Many of you will know where a, a master, an owner of a vineyard, Early in the morning, he goes and he hires some workers and says, I'm going to pay you a denarius a day if you come and work for me. And he hires them early in the day. And then at 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes and hires more workers. And he says to them, I will pay you whatever is right. And they work. And he goes out and he hires more people at noon. And he hires more people at 3 o'clock. And he hires more people at 5 o'clock. And then at the end of the day, when the work is done, he calls those who had started later in the day and he pays them a denarius. And then the others who had worked longer, a denarius. And those that worked right from the beginning of the day, a denarius. He pays them. He paid them all the exact same wage, which we find in this story makes those who were hired at the beginning and had worked all day kind of grumble. They say in Matthew chapter 20, verse 11, they say, um, when they received it, these workers began to grumble against the landowner. And then, and then the landowner replies to them, God, in this scenario, in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 20, he answers them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who has the same, who was hired last, the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? God says, don't I have the right to give what it is that I want to give, that which is mine? Or are you envious for being generous? What we see in that story is God can give whatever he wants to give. It's his choice. And so why do we feel uneasy about the thought of actually saying to God, like, God, you are unfair, you owe me? If you feel uneasy about doing that, it might be because you know that that's not true. You know that God doesn't owe you. You know that not only has God not been unfair, He's been better than fair with you. That not only does, you, do, does God not owe you, but you owe Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. I think the words will be on your screen here. Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know the riches of God's grace, that Jesus, who, who had everything by right, laid it all down. And he came and he took on the form of a servant and he went to the cross and he died our death and he paid for our sin, so that we who are poor in spirit might become rich. In God. Our sins might be forgiven. We might become children of God. We might have His presence in our life. We might know His protection and His perfect provision and have the gift of eternal life that there's nothing that can harm us. We are rich in Jesus, Paul says. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, can I tell you something? You are the richest person you know. You will never meet somebody else that is richer than you. Not Bill Gates, not Jeff, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, or anybody else. There's nobody that is richer than you through Jesus Christ. God doesn't owe us. We owe Him everything. 
And so that verse that Darren read at the beginning of the message, Philippians 4.13, which is probably one of the most misused verses in all the Bible and the most commonly quoted, right? Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And often we use that to say, man, I can harness God's power to do whatever it is I put my mind to. Like with God's help, I can win the championship. With God's help, I can you know, score highest in the class. With God's help, I can get that job promotion. Here we find in the context, that's actually the opposite of what that verse means. Uh, In Christ, let me just turn there. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's not what that verse means at all, right? We find out actually means I can be content, I can be satisfied regardless of what God gives me. Isn't that what Paul says? If you back up to the verse before, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in, in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. In any and every situation, good or bad, I can be content. I can be satisfied. Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. And what is the secret of contentment? It's the gospel. It's the truth of the gospel that in Jesus Christ, we who are poor have received the riches of God's grace. Children of God most high. There's nothing in the world that's better than that. And Paul had learned that incredible truth. And for him, that in any and every situation caused him to be content. Which is why he says, if you even back up a verse before, or actually verse 8 in Philippians 4, he says, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. How do we live in contentment? We have to think about All that we have in Christ, that in Christ we have all that we need. That's what that means. He's saying, Christians, think of all that you have in Jesus. If you really understood, if your mind was not on what you didn't have and you so wanted, but on what you had in Jesus, you could find contentment in any and every situation. You could rejoice, which is what he says in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. That word rejoice, let's just say that's celebrate. Right? That's like celebrate. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Celebrate in the Lord, he says. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You, you can be going through the hardest thing in the world. Rejoice in, not your circumstances, in the Lord. Celebrate all that you have in Christ. Celebrate what God has given to you, which is all that you need. Think and thank. That's what we need to do to find contentment always. Think and thank God for what he has given to us. I read a, an, an account of a monk back in the 5th century, a guy who had lived in uh, kind of high society of Egypt, and he left all of that to follow Jesus. He became a monk out in the wilderness, but once in a while he would wander into the great city of Alexandria. He would walk through the markets to take a look at all of the exquisite uh, wares in the market. Slowly as he would walk and look, uh, he was once asked why he did this, and he explained that his heart rejoiced 
at the sight of all the things he didn't need. His heart rejoiced at the sight of all the things he didn't need to be happy because he possessed the one thing he truly needed to be content, to be satisfied in life. And that's a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. So I mean, that, that's the first key in, in building contentment, to celebrate what God has given to you. So I think what we need to do what we need to do, Christians, when kind of jealousy flares up in our heart is we, need to, we just need to get honest with ourselves and we need to get honest with God. And we need to say, God, as much as I want this thing, as much as I desire that, I know that in you I have all that I need and more than I deserve. In you, God, I have all that I need to be happy and I have more than I deserve. So the first thing we need to do is to celebrate what God has given to you. And the second thing we're called to do is to celebrate what God has given to others. Paul will use this word rejoice again in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, when he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice, who? With those who rejoice. Celebrate with those who, who have experienced success. And with those who are sad, come alongside them and be sad with them and for them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn for those who mourn. Just like Jonathan did with David, right? When it said that he loved David as he loved himself, right? He celebrated Dave, David's successes. When something good happened to David, he rejoiced in himself. He acknowledged the goodness, that's love, right? Love is to seek the good of another first. That's what it is. To seek the good of another first. But jealousy doesn't allow us to do that. It becomes an impediment to true godly love because, I mean, if we're honest with ourselves here, and, and, and we're trying to be, right? Let's just get honest. Don't you sometimes feel kind of satisfied when the person that you're jealous of actually experiences a bit of a setback? You know what that feels like? Don't lie. You know, when, when that family that seems to have it all together and their kids are all great and then something happens and there's a setback, do you know what it feels like in your spirit to feel a little bit of satisfaction at that? That someone else who has something you once can lost that or been brought down a peg? I know that feeling. It's hard to say that because even when we say it, we know it's an ugly thing because that is diametrically opposed to love. The love that we're called to have for one another. So let me ask you a question. Whose success have, have you been hesitant to honor? Whose success have you been hesitant to honor? Whose uh, achievements ha uh, have, have kind of surfaced insecurities in your heart? Who is something that you desperately want for yourself? think of that for a moment. My guess is if you think hard enough, you'll find something. You'll find this pressure of jealousy somewhere. What the scriptures tell us is that we rebuff jealousy by celebrating the good things that God has given to another. By going and, and, and rejoicing and actually, and actually saying it verbally out loud. John, I... I'm so happy for you that you got that job promotion. I'm so happy for you. 
John, I'm so happy for you that, that you were able to go on that trip to the Greek islands. Inside, I know I'd love to go on that trip. I've always wanted to go on that trip, and I can't go to that trip for this reason or another reason. John, I'm so glad you got to go on that trip. Could, would, would you take a few minutes to like, sit down? You could tell me about it, maybe show me some of the pictures from your trip. Like Jealousy will keep us silent. It'll keep us from honoring and celebrating what God has chosen to give to another. And we come against that in our heart by celebrating with them. Even if we don't feel like it. And you might ask, well, if I don't feel like it, isn't that kind of insincere? Is it, does it lack honesty? And, and, and the answer is no, not at all. I mean, you can't wait until you feel like celebrating. You've got to celebrate until you feel it. I think that's what Paul is saying when he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Don't wait till you feel like celebrating something. Celebrate until you feel it because it's easier to behave your way into a new way of thinking than vice versa. Then think your way into a new way of behaving. We've got to act. Act and speak and train our hearts and train our feelings and train our thoughts to overcome jealousy. You know, there's just something really liberating about celebrating what God has given to another, something that maybe we would so want and we might covet ourselves. There's something so liberating about celebrating and rejoicing from another because it, hel- it helps just kind of roll that weight of jealousy off of our shoulders and it makes space in our heart for peace. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we want? We want peace to dwell within us. Right? We want our hearts to be free. And how do we have our hearts free of jealousy? Well, it's to celebrate, first of all, what God has given to you. And secondly, to celebrate what God has given to others. Heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So let me ask you a question, bringing this to a close. Where are you feeling the pressure of jealousy in your life? Maybe something, as I've been talking, as already come to your mind. Where are you feeling the pressure of jealousy? And as you think on that, I want to invite you into a moment to just already begin practicing this, this celebrating what God has given to you. I want to invite you into a moment of prayer. As you reflect on that question, where are you feeling the pressure of jealousy? Just take a moment before God, wherever you are, and thank Him and celebrate uh, what God has given to you. Let's take a moment and pray. Celebrate what God has given to you. And just ask God for the ability to be content. Let's pray. Father God, you are our shepherd. You're a perfect shepherd. In you, we have all that we could ever need. Lord, you are the satisfier of all of our needs, of all of our deepest longings for security, for self-worth, 
for significance and meaning in life. You just give that all to us through your son, Jesus. And we are just so incredibly rich, Lord. And often we just forget all that we are and all that we have through your son. And God, I just pray right now that you would just remind us of who we are, what we have, God, so that we can celebrate all that you have given to us, all of these riches. God, you are so generous. God, as as we battle jealousy in our heart, maybe it's something little, but Lord, we know even little things can grow. Maybe it's something really big that we've just been battling for years and years, and it's robbed us of our peace in our own heart. It's robbed us of peace in some relationship, maybe with those that we love around us, family and friends. And I just pray that you're, by your spirit that lives within us, that you would just give us the ability, God, to, uh, to find contentment, Lord, just to think on those things that are true and praiseworthy, to celebrate what you have given to us and to celebrate what you have given to others, Lord. Just make us content in Jesus' name. Amen.